Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. How much do you think about what you're thinking about. Right now, some of us are doing what I call the summer soul challenge. So we're thinking about what our soul needs most and how can we give it to ourselves this summer? So we end the summer and head into the fall more refreshed and more ready. And I mentioned that I was still figuring out what I was gonna focus on. And what I initially thought about is what I think God has confirmed for me to focus on. And that is contentment. As many of you know, in my day job, I'm an executive coach and just how I'm built, how God has created me, I'm always looking for what's next. So what is next in my life, how I can become a better, more effective version of myself. I feel like I'm in an ongoing state of evolution and that's good. And if you over tilt on that, if you over tilt on what you can always do better, how you can improve, you can also move yourself out of contentment and not be appreciative enough of right where you are. So I was explaining this to someone the other day in that sometimes we can look too much at how far we have to go and not enough at how far we've come. I can look at my own life and look at it and focus too much on how far I have to go and not enough on how far I've come. And just like we can do that to ourselves and I do that to myself, I can also do it to my spouse, my child, my friends, other people around me, where it's this constant push towards better improvement more. So this summer, along with kind of some of the focus on change and growth, which I'll always have, I'm also leaning in on contentment and gratefulness. It doesn't mean I've stopped growing or doing or changing, but it does mean I'm adding a lot more gratitude and a lot more appreciation for where I am and where others are as well. And I was talking about this to my personal psychologist the other day, who you all will get to meet on a future episode. I can't wait. And she was sharing to get there, to get to a consistent place of gratefulness, a consistent place of thankfulness will require me to change my thinking, to be aware of my thoughts. And when they tilt too heavy toward what's wrong and what can be better, to bring them back towards what's right and what's good. And as I've heard some of what you all are focused on for the Summer Soul Challenge, many of those things also involved some type of mindset shift. If you want to rest more, you have to believe rest is important. You have to believe it's restorative and it's worth your time. If you're looking to operate with more faith and less fear on a consistent basis, that's going to require rewiring some thoughts, you know, reminding yourself that you can, and even if you can't, God can, and being willing to do it anyway. So in that light, today's conversation is right on point. Today, you'll hear a conversation I had with Dr. Dan Strunk. 
Dr. Strunk is a professor of psychology at The Ohio State University. He did his undergraduate work at Northern Kentucky University and then went on to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, where he earned his PhD in clinical psychology. After graduate school, Dr. Strunk completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt University. That's also my husband's alma mater, Go Doors. In 2006, he joined the faculty at Ohio State. In much of his research, what you'll hear is that Dan has focused on cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT for depression. And his work has highlighted what patients can learn in CPD, CBT, that helps them to recover from depression and also what helps them stay well after treatment ends, which is so important. So this conversation was a great reminder on the power of our thoughts and beliefs and how those thoughts and beliefs can impact our life and some strategies to help us better identify and manage them. So this is a super helpful conversation for all of the things we're focused on in life, including the Summer Soul Challenge. I'm so glad you've joined and enjoy. Dan, thank you so much for joining today's episode. I am um, super excited about this topic for a number of reasons. Uh, just to get a chance to learn more about our thoughts, our beliefs, how they impact our work life and our life in general. You know, it's been so important to me just because the first chapter of my book actually was about kind of how your thoughts or beliefs help me and can help others either, you know, move forward, stay where you are if that's what you're supposed to do, or sometimes get you keep you stuck or get you unstuck so how they can impact our work life and our life in general. So I'm really thrilled to be able to talk with someone who's an expert in this topic for me and everyone else to be able to learn from you. So thank you so, so much for joining. Well, that's great. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to it too, as well. Uh, and I do think, uh, you know, that your, your perspective is a really important thing and we have a lot of control over our perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to remember. So, I mean, just to jump in, like, as we think about thoughts and beliefs, how would you either define or distinguish between a thought and a belief? Yeah. So uh, just as a little bit of background, uh, so I'm a clinical psychologist and a cognitive behavioral therapist. So in cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, we like to distinguish what we call automatic thoughts. That's what I, I call a thought. Uh, and an automatic thought is a thought that happens in the moment. And uh, in CBT, we're interested in the thoughts that happen when you're feeling strong emotions. So maybe you're feeling really sad, maybe you're feeling really anxious or angry. We're going to ask what's going through your mind right at that moment. And the idea is that that is not just noise. That's actually a really important signal. And uh, there's predictable relationships there, you know. So when you're anxious, it's, 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 it's going to be something about how threatened you feel, about how uh, something bad might happen, or be really catastrophic if it did happen, or you know, so there's these predictable patterns. So the thought is sort of your, your conscious moment to moment experience. And we've got those all day long. We're interested in them when you're feeling strong emotions. And the idea is that, you know, uh, in addition to thinking moment to moment, there are patterns, right? So uh, maybe if, if I track how I was thinking over the course of a few weeks, notice what was I thinking when I was feeling sad, I probably would find that there's some themes there. The kinds of things that I think when I'm sad have some stuff in common. And that starts to hint at a belief. Uh, a belief is a more basic view. Uh, you know, we, we use it in CBT, we use the term core belief sometimes. Uh, so a, a core belief is like, it's a belief that tends to be a bit absolutistic. It tends to be extreme. Uh, so you might, like a negative core belief might be something like, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable. Uh, so things that are kind of a basic 
view. Core beliefs can be positive uh, as well, right? So you could say I'm a worthwhile person, I'm a conscious, you know. So, so you know, uh, the idea is that if you recognize the pattern of having a belief, and that kind of helps us say, okay, I should be on the lookout for the specific thoughts related to this belief. And maybe there's a beliefs that you don't really endorse, but you keep stumbling into. And so, you know, in CBT, we're all about trying to come up with ways to to step back and notice those beliefs and to question them and come to what we think are, you know, more balanced perspectives. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, in distinguishing thoughts and beliefs, and even for thoughts, you said you're particularly interested in those thoughts that accompany strong emotions. Mm-hmm. And why is that tie really important for us to pay attention to? Well, first of all, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is a, a treatment that's designed to help people with emotional distress. So maybe you're depressed, maybe you're anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether you, whether or not you have clinical depression or whether or not you just have a bad day, these skills are applicable. So the skills are useful generally, and we are interested in those moments because we're trying to kind of take the edge off of your emotional life, right? So mm-hmm. if you've got some low lows, wouldn't it be nice if those didn't have to be quite so low? And what we find is that when you ask people what they're thinking at moments when they're especially sad or especially anxious is, I think this is just part of the human condition, but we tend to think things that are more extreme than are strictly warranted. And the, 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 the thing that is, just seems to be true is that our emotional experience is what it is almost as if that were true. So if I tell myself I'm a loser, uh, I feel like I'm a loser even if I've fooled myself and I'm really not such a loser, mm-hmm. right? So to let those thoughts and beliefs run unchecked has big emotional consequences. And so that's why we want to be really careful about catching those, those thoughts and beliefs and saying, hold on a second. I don't want to just let, let that go and buy into it implicitly. Right. Okay. Yes. That makes complete sense. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about that in my own life for sure, how those beliefs can be extreme sometimes and then how sure. that extreme belief could impact me or impact others. So I guess it sounds like one key thing is you have to be aware of these thoughts, maybe that are attached to emotions or, you know, the beliefs that you've built up over time. Mm-hmm. Like, are there strategies for becoming more aware to that? Because I think a lot of times we're going through life day to day, maybe you're busy you know, especially I think about work environment today. It's like, it's super busy. It's meeting to meeting to meeting. And so I don't know if we're always aware, even of maybe what some of those thoughts are. Are there strategies for how we become more aware um, or gain more insight about that? Right. I think a good starting point is to pay special attention to when your mood shifts, right? So if you leave a meeting and you're pretty pissed, you might ask yourself, what's going through my mind right then? And when I just started to, to shift my emotion, well, what was I thinking in that moment, right? Like uh, you really want to focus on when the shift happened, when you were feeling worst, whatever the, the negative emotion is, what was going through my mind right then? And for some people, they can tell you right off the bat. For others, it takes a little special notice and attention. But if you look for the times when your mood shifts and ask yourself, and if you can't come up with something right off the bat, it's okay to take a to hazard a guess and to keep looking uh, and you'll get better and better at it. Okay, yeah. And, and is it is it as important to note when our move shifts negative as positive like are those equally valuable or are you really trying to figure out when kind of i'm feeling worse in a moment well it's interesting you say that we we actually have studied uh the impact on negative emotions and positive emotions and right and there's a a sense that especially if you're treating conditions like anxiety or depression you're probably interested in the negative emotions and we're not really looking uh except for some special circumstances 
we're not worried about positive emotions being too positive, but we might be worried about dampening positive emotions unnecessarily, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a major accomplishment. And instead of saying like, wow, that was pretty great. I should give myself a pat on the back. You think, well, I can't live up to my reputation now. I'm going to disappoint people for sure. You know, whatever, whatever the specific thought is. And so those are of interest too, right? So the kinds of views that serve to undermine the, the, the good parts of your emotional life. Mm, okay. Yeah, I could see that. I was talking to a friend one time and she was saying how she felt like she tends to kind of be the wet blanket after like you spare something positive and then immediately there's some other thought that somehow dampens it, you know, like yeah. you're saying, like, it's almost like, well, I mean, you did all right. Instead of just being like, wow, I was amazing saying I was yeah. amazing, but then, well, I mean, I was kind of, maybe I could have done this better or the other. So I, I could see how you have to be aware of even the possibility that you could not be fully experiencing your positive emotions either because of some of the thoughts that are getting in the way of that. Sure. Sometimes when people first hear about this, this uh, approach, they'll say, well, yeah, but I don't want to be like a silly optimist. You know, I, I'm kind of the wet blanket type and I, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. And I always tell them like, I know you're worried about that, but these techniques are not so powerful that we're going to change your personality fundamentally. We're going to help you keep the wet blanket in check, but you're still going to have plenty of opportunity to think about <laughs> negative things. And that's not going to become utterly inaccessible or anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that if that's our, yeah, we're not going to turn all of a sudden, you know, just overly optimistic, never having negative thoughts, but you can, you can still shift it a little bit one way or the right. other. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, when you think about cognitive behavioral therapy or just kind of understanding our beliefs and thoughts, you mentioned a little bit how it can affect our mood, but how, what do you think are the biggest impacts that our thoughts and beliefs have on our actions, our life? Like, where do you see in your research or in the practice, like the biggest yeah. impact of our thoughts and beliefs? I think people underestimate, like routinely underestimate how important your perspective is. Hmm. And I say this as someone who has worked with a lot of clients uh, who come in and and they, they think understandably, my life has some, I've had some real challenges and I'm not saying they didn't have real challenges, but whether or not you had real challenges, you also have these perspectives about those challenges. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got real challenges and you add negative perspective, you know, over, over exaggerated negative perspective, you're in such a more difficult position than to just have negative challenges or a difficult situation. So I see it in clients. I also see it in graduate students in training. Like it's just, it seems like it's a natural instinct when people are feeling bad to say, well, something bad must have happened. And it often did. We, life is hard. You know, we all experience difficult things, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't think about the, the various ways to make sense of that and, and choose a way that's going to be really good for you in terms of accomplishing your long-term goals and developing resilience in the face of challenges. And so it's almost like a, is it kind of like, we don't really understand the power we have over our thoughts. Is that a fair way to think? I about think that's, that? that's totally true. Right. So, uh, you know, you think like, uh, people would often say things like, well, yeah, but this happened to me. And like, you know, I, I am not suggesting that difficult experiences don't have serious impact, mm -hmm. uh, but people are way more resilient than I think the average person imagines. Yeah. And if you underestimate that resilience, you do yourself a disservice. And so these cognitive strategies and behavioral strategies as well, there are ways to, to take that resilience back and say, hey, I've had some difficult stuff, but that doesn't mean that I can't, whatever it is, you know, overcome it, learn to cope with it, see positive possibilities nonetheless, and you know, not just be sucked into a particular negative view and let it run amok. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I just based on your work and the research, I'm I'm guessing this is something we can change. <laughs> I think we tend to have a tendency, like you like you were saying, whether it's the optimism or not, or yeah. you know, maybe we have a tendency to approach these things either believing we have more power or we don't. But I guess with the with the therapeutic approach, it's something we can change. Also, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, there are individual differences in terms of your propensity to experience negative emotions. So that that's definitely something that there's part of temperament. But when we look at people who are experiencing a real rough patch, maybe they're clinically depressed, mm -hmm. those folks can do better. Uh, and you see big changes as people participate in treatment, they get, of course, they get less depressed, but also their thinking changes correspondingly. So uh, on a whole host of different cognitive measures, they're seeing more positive possibilities, they're it's not that they're fooling themselves, but the, you know they say, yeah, I've had these difficulties, but it doesn't mean that I'm a worth, worthless person. It doesn't mean that there's no potential in my future, right? Often it's, it's, I mean, sometimes it's about what happened, but often it's about the inferences about what it means that something happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, so, I mean, when you think about cognitive behavioral therapy, and I get into this conversation sometimes with my clients, like some people prefer to kind of think about their thoughts and their mindset and their emotions. Other people want a almost more purely behavioral approach. Like what mm -hmm. can I do differently about this? Um, how can I yeah. act differently about this particular situation? Do you find that one is either more important than the other one comes first? Like how do you balance those in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy? How do you balance those two right. approaches in how we well, think about our thoughts and things when we're trying to achieve something different? Like where should we focus? Uh, you know, for a long time, there was this view uh, in, in, C in CBT that you should start with the behavioral stuff and shift to the cognitive stuff. But I think if you look at the literature in totality, what it seems to suggest is you can use either to great advantage. And you don't have, there, there's actually not much evidence. There's a recent study that compared the sequence. It doesn't seem that the order in which you do them matters. We're not all that good at predicting for whom, which is going to be successful. So the big signal is find a, a positive coping strategy and go for it. Uh, it could be a behavioral strategy. It could be a cognitive strategy. It's far more important that you have a good, healthy coping strategy than you find the perfect one or the one that's a little bit better than the alternative. Uh, we might someday get better at saying, oh, for you, it's going to be a little bit better if you did this. Um, but the big signal seems to be that doing something is so much better than not doing anything. And if there are differences between which one is best for whom, they're probably kind of subtle. Okay. Yeah. So do something, <laughs> do something yeah. with mindset actions, do something. And is there, can you like for people who may not understand, and even for me, is there an explanation you could give on maybe a problem someone's trying to address and what a behavioral approach might look like and what a kind of cognitive or mindset approach might look like? Sure. So let's say, um, let's say you had a project due for work where you needed to write something, you know, maybe you had to write up a, a proposal or something like that. And you find yourself procrastinating on it, yeah. right? So uh, from a behavioral perspective, we would say, okay, that's avoidance. You know, you're putting this off and that is good for you in the short run. Or you imagine it's good for you in the short run because you're imagining it's going to be frustrating. I'm not going to have a great time doing it. Uh, but in the long run, it's really not serving you all that well. Uh, you kind of, you chronically worried about it. You got some negative emotions perpetuating and it's not actually aligned with, you know, advancing your goals. You're not getting the project written. Um, so from a behavioral perspective, you might say that's avoidance. I'm going to insert a different behavior in instead of avoidance. So I'm going to break this, ta this task up into a manageable part. 
I'm going to sit down at the computer and for five minutes, I'm going to make positive progress. After that, I could take a step back and decide what the next step is. But you know, that, that breaking it up is a big, a big thing. Like a lot of times uh, for procrastination, for depression, uh, people put these things off and it, because they seem overwhelming. So breaking things up into a, a small part, it's such a simple idea. Uh, but if you really like leverage that to its full potential, it can make difficult things so much more manageable. So it really is good advice. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be a good strategy. And also, you, you notice that we're counteracting avoidance instead of saying, hey, this is avoidance. Uh, and by saying avoidance, what I mean is this is not in line with my long term goals. Right. Okay. So this is a way of valuing the present over the future. I really don't want to do that. I want to I want to pursue my long term goals. And so that means sitting down and giving it a shot. Right. From a cognitive perspective, we might say, okay, so I have this thought that I could I could sit down and work on the project, but I have all these negative emotions. And I said, what's going through my mind right now? I'm not going to be able to write anything. The proposal's not going to go well. Uh, it's not going to be well received. People are going to think that I'm a lousy employee, right? And then we have all these 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 negative automatic thoughts. And so uh, we would say, what you do is you you pick the ones that are most central, meaning most related to your negative emotion in the moment. And you say, okay, take a step back from that. Is that really fully what's going on? Does this tell the whole story? If you had to pick one question, I think one of the most powerful questions we ask to help people consider a different perspective is what would you tell a friend in this situation? Mm -hmm. uh, because so often we're not that great at thinking differently in our, in our you know, little spot we're in where we're feeling stuck. But if you're thinking, hey, this is my best friend, thinking about them being stuck for a project, you wouldn't say, well, just give up. You're a loser. Uh, you might say like you come up with something, something concrete and it wouldn't be that you'd lie to them, but it would be that you'd be thinking about their, their interests and what would be, what would be a, you know, realistic and healthy perspective for them. Uh, but there's a whole variety of things you can do, but you would take on those negative evaluations and say, let's come up with an alternative that I can use to combat those negative views that are preventing me from getting started on the project. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I see how both of those could have a positive impact going about either way. Based on yeah. who you are, you might prefer going at it one way or the other, but either yeah. way can produce positive benefit, maybe help you procrastinate less, less negative emotion associated with it. Um, right. Doing something. We're also not mutually exclusive, right? So, right. Uh, you know, like the evidence about how the effect of these strategies are generally comes from people who are just getting started with it. But, you know, I've been using these things in my own life for a couple of decades. And I think as you get better and better at it, you realize like, oh, there's a lot to, to like to actually do this well in a like wise way in your own life with your own emotions getting in the way. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to try to do well. And so I, I can't point to evidence for it, but I do think having additional tools in the tool chest gives you more options if you get stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes complete sense. All the options. And you're right. This is like a lifelong journey. You know, because there's always yeah. another challenge. There's always something new to to try to address and a new obstacle in the way. So, yeah, the more strategies we can build over time, probably the better able we are to get, you yeah. know, to have what we want in our life. So thank goodness for that. Wouldn't it yeah. be boring if there were no more challenges? Yes, <laughs> it would be. That's a that's a good perspective to have. That's a good belief <laughs> to have. Right. Actually. So I love that. So, yeah. So how do you think our if you just think generally, how do you think our thoughts and beliefs impact our work satisfaction or life satisfaction, just how satisfied we are with our, our lives, whether it's work or, yeah. or personal, what do you think the relationship between that is? Yeah. 
I mean, you know, I think uh, as, as you pointed out, uh, work is a big part of life, uh, you know, and we, we, to a large degree, live our life at work. They're in, you know, kind of inextricably intertwined. The thing that people talk about, the, the, the themes that, that come out most when you ask people to focus on their negative uh, emotions and, and that kind of stuff, whether it's at work or it's at home, it's often negative views in interpersonal contexts. Yeah. So there are different kinds of themes about that, but you know, whether it's you're looking for a job and you're worried about how you'll be evaluated when you do an interview, or whether it's uh, not feeling appreciated at work or having a difficult coworker, like have, you know, being able to navigate these uh, social interactions without getting sucked into negative views about how, oh, they're not going to like me, or this is an unsolvable problem. Those that's, I mean, that's a big slice of life, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's a huge slice of life. Um, yeah, I was I was listening to something the other day. It was a it was a pastor who was talking, and he was saying that almost all the difficult issues he deals with are either interpersonal, someone having some mm-hmm. interpersonal challenge, or money was the other one. But yeah. interpersonal was like one of the biggest challenges that you know people yeah. come to him for in terms of just support and counseling, um, because it is such a huge aspect of our lives. So I could see that. Yeah. yeah. A long time ago, uh, I guess almost twenty years ago now, I did this project where we coded. Uh, sessions of CBT from a, a clinical trial. Mm-hmm. And we were testing this idea about what's called sociotropy and autonomy. So sociotropy are beliefs about social evaluation, uh, whether, you know, if other people don't approve of me, I think I'm worthless. And the autonomy is more the achievement. So like, am I well off? Am I, am I mm-hmm. successful? And there was this idea that you could be depressed for either sort of reason. You know, you could, you could have more sociotropic beliefs or more autonomous beliefs. And we did this coding and we found that it was about 80% of the conversations were focused on the interpersonal stuff. So there's a variety, but boy, the interpersonal stuff is a pretty big part of it. Even if it's, you know, you might say, well, work, that sounds like it's achievement related, but so often you find out, well, the work problem is really an interpersonal problem. Mm-hmm. It's about, I don't know how to talk to my boss or there's a difficult coworker or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Cause I've had several clients say, man, if I could just do the work, <laughs> like sure. if I didn't have to interact with anybody, I could just go in and kind of hands-on keyboard, do the work. Life would be sure. so easy. It is these interpersonal dynamics that make it most challenging. I think for most of us, sometimes it's the, the spice work. of life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but most times it's not the work. It's the people where, you know, it's the interactions with other people that make it challenging. So sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so what do you think clients can learn in cognitive behavioral therapy and then what might we be able to apply just more broadly in our our daily lives around Mm -hmm. our thoughts and beliefs, our work satisfaction, like what comes to mind for you for, you know, what they learn and what we can apply? Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we deliver a cognitive behavioral therapy, it's not a, it's not a short little circumscribed intervention. Uh, A typical course of CBT is three to four months, sometimes longer. Um, so it's really kind of a complex thing, and there are pretty different ideas about how CBT might work. Two of the major ideas are, one idea is that it changes your beliefs fundamentally. So I start CBT and I'm thinking, people, if people don't approve of me, I'm worthless. I'm a loser. My life is going nowhere. There's, there's no meaning. There's no purpose. And, and uh, at the end, I've changed my beliefs fundamentally. And the nice, the, you know, the thing that this might suggest, if, you, if that were true, is, well, now I'm, I'm not vulnerable. I, I don't have these, the, the, the scars of having, having thought about things that way, right? Or I've maybe undone that in some basic way. Mm-hmm. Um, so one idea is that you might get belief change. Um, 
Another idea is that you might learn a set of skills. You could call them compensatory skills. So uh, maybe you've got this vulnerability for whatever reason. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, you know genetic vulnerability. Maybe it's life experience, some combination. But you know when stressors happen, these negative possibilities they tend to occur to you. But you can use these skills as sort of an ongoing, effortful way to push back against the the pull of the negative emotions. So I don't know to what extent each of these things are true for everybody in all circumstances, but we've done quite a bit of research showing that people do acquire these skills over the course of treatment. The more they acquire the skills, the more they tend to improve. Uh, Skill acquisition and effortful rehearsal predicts resilience after treatment ends. So if you look at patients who just got a course of CBT for depression, the ones who are most skillful and who are practicing in their own life are the least likely to relapse after treatment ends. So, I mean, ultimately it would be lovely if this ongoing skill practice resulted in belief change, like that'd be fantastic, but whether it does or not, I think the means to get there is this practicing process is to get really good at noticing what you're thinking, catching it, being skeptical, and asking some questions to come try to come up with a more realistic, healthier perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, you know, sometimes I think from work situations, I could see how that could just be helpful in our whole life. I think sometimes we try to, I don't know, compartmentalize things like this is how I am at work, or this is how I am at home or with my child or parenting. But I wonder if you found this to be true. I know from a coaching perspective, I've found that the more people practice something in their whole life, the faster it develops. So it's not like, yeah, I'm going to do this at work, but I'm just, this is just who I'm going to be as a person. I'm going to try to yeah. do this differently. And if they practice it in every facet to your point about when you said skill acquisition, I was like, yeah, I guess the practice, the repetition, it just mm-hmm. seems to develop faster. Um, and I don't know if that's how totally yeah. perspective. Right. So for example, if you go to your, if you go to your therapy session and your therapist asks you some questions and you say, I hadn't been thinking of it that way, but I could, maybe that is a perspective I'd be willing to try on. That's a good thing, but it's quite a bit better thing. If not only does that happen, but between sessions, you start noticing on your own, Hey, uh, I'm I'm calling attention to my thoughts in that situation. And I'm going to be skeptical. I'm going to export these skills to real life. And so the, you know, the therapy interaction is, you know, it, there's some value there, but the value is so much greater if you take the skills and actually incorporate them, you know, into your day-to-day life. So uh, the, and, and you know, the, the people who do best in therapy are the people who have internalized this, you know, they, they figured out like, yeah, I can make this, I can make this effortful skill rehearsal part of day-to-day life. It, you know, like many things that you're learning that are new, it seems like a lot at first, yeah. But it's really, it gets easier quickly. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're learning a musical instrument or something at the beginning, you stink. It's just yeah. real rough. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to hear you practice, <laughs> but as you do it, it gets easier and easier. And the same thing happens with CBT skills. Okay. Oh yeah. I could see that. I mean, and you mentioned that this could, you could use this to address different vulnerabilities that we might have. And mm-hmm. one of them you mentioned was genetic vulnerabilities. I just wanted to make sure I understood what does that like, what's an example of what that is? Like, what are genetic vulnerabilities? Just to make sure. Sense. I don't. I don't mean to suggest that I have specific genes in mind. What I mean to suggest is like when you think about temperament or personality, mm. people who have a we call it a high neuroticism, so they have a, a high proclivity to experience strong negative emotions. They tend yeah. to be grumpy, moody, things like mm. that. Those are folks who are at higher risk for emotional disorders, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, okay. and so. 
that's part of the story about how those disorders develop. It's not the whole story at all, but it's, it's, a, it's a part of it. And so however these things get started, the, mm. the active coping skills are a way that you can push back against it. Uh, I definitely, you know, a lot of times when genetics comes up, the, th- the way that tends to be a stumbling block for people is people think, well, if it's a genetic predisposition, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's not that way. So in fact, for example, if you, if you look at people who have a uh, greater genetic vulnerability to depression versus not CBT appears to be u- useful for both sorts of uh, folks. So mm-hmm. we might come to a day. I hope we come to a day where we understand causality in a more fine grained way, but it's today. I would say there's not room for, there's not basis for a strong pessimism. If you say, yeah, but I'm just a, a neurotic person. I really tend to be moody and experience a lot of negative affect that th- those people actually benefit quite a bit. And you know, to some degree, you'll see more benefit the, the rougher mm-hmm. uh, you start off in, you know, whatever you, however you start off, if you're in a really bad sp- space, you're going to see a, a much more dramatic change on average. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I could see that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It can help. And if you're in really negative emotions or in a difficult place, it might help you even more, but just there's more room for improvement essentially yeah. in terms of that. So, okay. I love that. It is really true. Like uh, if you meet somebody who is, who spent a lot of their life uh, depressed, you know, someone who's mm-hmm. maybe spent, you know, a decade or more, those negative views become well-worn habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it takes some effort to, to, fr- to free yourself from them, but wow, the, the difference is pretty dramatic. And so, you know, like before you do it, you don't know what it's going to be like, but for the people who find that challenging, uh, the benefits are real, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. we'll say, you know, evaluating my thoughts seems like so much work and I have so many other things to worry about, but that work has so many positive spillover effects. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about working on that project we were talking about earlier, taking the four to five minutes, maybe, uh, to reevaluate your thoughts is going to pay big dividends in terms of, can I get more done on the project? So Mm -hmm. it's really worth investing the time in trying to manage our emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you think, um, you know, one thing that I've done before, I'm, I'm doing more of it now. It's kind of did it long, long ago in my life. I kind of took a break and gone back to it. Do you recommend, I do a lot of journaling recently, and I've been honestly surprised in the last kind of few months on how helpful that is in mm-hmm. gaining clarity. Like I've always used writing on a particular yeah. topic, but now I'm doing more journaling, which is, I think of as like more, a little more free form, like whatever's top of mind. And I've been honestly surprised on how much clarity that's given me on like what I'm actually thinking. And I don't know, is that a common, do you find that as common strategy that helps people or? There is quite a literature on, uh, I guess you call it expressive writing as a uh, a kind of intervention that could be Mm -hmm. helpful. If you're struggling with depression and you're writing and you find that you're getting sucked into a negative theme and it stays negative persistently, uh, one of the things I would say is the structure that CBT uh, recommends might be a way to help you navigate that. So I think expressive writing could be a great positive influence lots and lots of the time. But if you're finding that, yeah, this just gets me in a, in a yeah. dark hole, I just feel yeah. moody and it's worse and worse. I don't think it's that there's nothing you can do about it, but like, you know, and, and this, by structure, what I mean is instead of just uh, writing, you might write about, you know, the, the meaninglessness of existence and how the world's going to hell or, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like bad things, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and instead to really uh, kind of focus on a concrete moment. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Mm-hmm. I think that can be a good way to get unstuck if you find that you're stuck. 
Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's a tool. It can probably, it can be used to your benefit. It also could be used to your detriment, depending on how it's being used, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I think on average it's helpful. It's just a, if you find that this is something that's not good for your mood, yeah. I would give up on writing. I would think about how can I structure this using some mm-hmm. strategies that are going to help shift my perspective. Okay. Very helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. Before we do kind of the lightning round, where I just want to ask you a few questions to let people get to know you better. Like any final thoughts for people as they're thinking about their thinking about their thoughts and beliefs and how that can yeah. impact their life? Like any final thoughts that you'd want to share? I guess my big thought is that you can see benefits doing this, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale. So uh, you don't have to go all the way and sign up for a full course of CBT. Uh, if you're not ready to do that, you could get a self-help book. Like one of my favorites is Mind Over Mood. Um, but there's a, a variety of things you could, you know, uh, information you can find in various sources and you can just try out the strategies, you know, to try to notice your thoughts and do the reevaluation or to recognize avoidance and think about how can I combat that with an approach oriented, break it up into small steps kind of strategy. Um, they're really powerful approaches it, in some ways they sound so simple. It's easy to think, well, yeah, it's so simple. Like how much could that make a difference? But, you know, it's simple in one way and it's hard in another, like, the steps are simple, but that doesn't mean it's always easy to follow through. You know, it takes mm-hmm. it takes some development or some practice to to develop those muscles for using these skills. It's worth the effort. Yeah. And, I, and thank you for that resource, Mind Over Mood. We'll put that in the show notes too. Just, yeah, some strategies we can use to try to figure out how to use this amazing brain that we have to our benefit. Um, sure. yeah. And I'm guessing Mind Over Mood is a little bit about how you use your thoughts to impact your mood. I've not read it, but. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it really is the, it distills some of the core strategies from cognitive behavioral therapy and just mm-hmm. puts them in a nice, easily, easy to read oh. digestible format. And, you know, like your book, it's, it's practical in that it kind of points you to exercises and steps you can take to try mm-hmm. out developing one skill or another. Okay. I love easy and digestible. So that's definitely something I'm going to pick up. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. So yes, I want to do a lightning round at the end just to ask you a few questions so people can get to know you a little better. So one question is what is a unique experience, like work experience that you've had? Like what's one of the more unique work experiences you've had? One, I guess you could call it unique experience I had is I worked at this uh, carnival supply company. And uh, this was uh, a long time ago. It was a summer job I had. And uh, they offered me the opportunity to go work at the, what do you call it? Like the the balloon prize, like a game. Oh, like yeah. Game, uh, whatever. And I was a, kind of a quiet kid. Uh, but I, I did this and I threw myself into it. And uh, I got a ton of business. I got so much business that first day that they actually called me and they got complaints that the other people were short <laughs> in terms of their take. And so I guess- uh, it was just a, it was, yeah, put me out of my comfort zone and, uh, shows you, you can, you can live up to the situation if you throw yourself into it, I guess. Wow. Yeah. That's for, uh, I couldn't, I think about the people I've seen hosting games and, um, thinking quiet and shy, that would be quite a challenge actually, because they're <laughs> kind of a, almost like a showman kind of a role. So, okay. Yeah. It was fun. So, uh, so what's one thing you do consistently to enjoy your life? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I do anything consistently that's real good for me, but I try. Uh, So I'd say that I try to make conscious decisions about how I spend my time. It's an ongoing struggle, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, because so often I end up spending my time because there's something urgent or because there was was something that pulled me to do that. 
And then you look back and you think about your week and you think, ah, oh, that wasn't really what I wanted to spend my time on. So I really try to make conscious, more and more conscious efforts about uh, spending time on the things that are truly valuable to me and, mm-hmm. you know, valuable to the people that I care about. Oh yeah, me too. I, I, yes. Time management is everything. Okay. And then what is one word of wisdom or a piece of advice that you try to live by? I don't know that anybody should look to me for uh, such uh, major <laughs> advice, but uh, I guess if I had to pick one you know, principle, I don't think yeah. I could top the golden rule, right? Like treating other people the way you'd like to be treated. You know, yeah. it's a simple principle and uh, it's not easy. Uh, and I'm sure I make lots of mistakes, in, including describing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but a, a amazing principle to live by for sure. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for joining. You can find Dan and his research online through the, the Ohio State University. We're going to put his website there and you'll get to see the dozens, dozens of research studies that he's done on this topic. So we'll put that in the show notes so people can find out more about that. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for joining. This is super helpful. Um, I can't wait to pick up the book you mentioned and just to be more intentional about our thoughts and beliefs and the fact that we can have, we have more influence on those than sometimes we think. So thank you so much for joining. Thanks for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. And so thank you all so much for joining this episode. You can find me online on Instagram as always at Arlene underscore Pace underscore Green. Thanks for being here and be well. If you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You're also invited to join my private email group where just for joining, you will receive a checklist for getting your LinkedIn profile in top shape and a link to the first chapter of my book. Click join the crew in the show notes. I also invite you to visit my website where you can shop our t-shirt collection designed to help you fulfill your purpose, love your work, and enjoy your life. I have them all, wear one almost every episode, and know you will love them. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey. Let's go. Let's go.